valuable and it cannot be held by physical hands, it's probably worth holding on to. This is Immaterial Treasures. I'm your host, Dan Fee Parker. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to uh, Immaterial Treasures. Today, I have a guest who is a best friend of mine. He was the best man in my wedding. And we will be talking about a very serious topic that I feel as though isn't talked about enough. The title of today's podcast is called Memento Mori. It is a Latin phrase which means, remember that you must die. This expression was developed with the growth of Christianity, which emphasized heaven and hell and salvation. And I feel as though death is a, is a conversation that must be had for any human being to be fully living. There's a really good quote by John Piper, which he says, history is a conveyor belt of corpses. There is nothing that's more guaranteed in life than the fact that you're going to die. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for death is a destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. So, Jeff, what are your thoughts on this topic of death? Death is something that it's unnatural. That's my first thought. I think it's it's unnatural. We weren't meant to die. I don't believe um, the scriptures teach that. I think uh, we were meant to live forever. And so whenever a death happens, it's like a shock to us. Right. Um, and death brings a lot of sorrow um, with it. And it makes me think, is there an answer to death? Is anything out there greater than death? And you know, you make a good point when you state that death um, is not natural. Uh, we were never meant to die. But I almost want to push back and say it has become natural in a fallen world. It's a natural course of life that we die because this world that we live in isn't how it ought to be the way God intended mm -hmm. for it to be. So it's a very true statement that you make that it is unnatural. Yes, the world that God originally created had no, in the blueprint of that world, there was no death. Um, but our father, mm -hmm. Adam, in eating the fruit, the forbidden fruit, welcomed death into the world. And now it's become a natural course of life. So I, I want to ask, what what is death? Is it one dimensional? Is it, is it, just our physical body dying or is it multifaceted? Is there, is there more than one way of dying? If that even makes sense. What is death? Yeah. I think death is an ending of something and death can be physical. I think there can be physical death. I think death can be spiritual. You know, I think of sometimes do we use death in, in like our regular language? Something has died, maybe expert, like food, for example, right? So we say food is good until it expires. Right. Um, till it's no longer any good. It is dead to you, basically, you know? Right. Um, well, we never say the I food died. The yeah, we never say food died. We just yeah, say it's, it's expired. It's no good. Yeah, that's true, right? right? I wonder do we do we use like things dying in our everyday life except for except for a life ending? Do we use death 
to describe anything. We do actually. And it's actually only used when someone's like literally being nasty. Like you say in a friendship, that person's dead to me. You know, like I'm yeah. de- I, that person's dead to that meaning like I will never, ever recognize them again as being part of my life. There's a finality to it. Like they've done something that's unforgivable. Like they, they, they don't, they cease to be alive to me from here on out. So it's like we use those terms yeah. death when it's like a parting, something negative. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't think of any other scenarios in which we would, uh, unless it's at a funeral, you know, it's not a popularized word. No, it's not. But I also think some, do Do you think that somewhat we cheapen the the word death when we say that person is dead to me? Or like, I don't know if you've heard people say this, they'll say I'm dead. They don't literally mean they're dead, but right. as a reaction. Right, right, right. <laughs> yes, yes. The emojis. Yes, yes. Very yes. funny. Yeah, that is true. We do, we do. Yeah, I think... You know, you make a good point. Whenever we use the term death in our natural speaking, we never mean what it actually is like in reality. Do you know what mm. I mean? So I guess so, in doing so, we never actually grapple with the reality of what death really is because we're not using it the way it really is. Exactly. So then we may, in a certain way, not be preparing ourselves for real death exactly exactly and what do you think what do you think the writer of ecclesiastes means when he says it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting for death is the destiny of everyone and the living shall should take this to heart does he mean that we should be morbid all the time that we shouldn't rejoice in anything that we should always have death on the forefront of our mind what 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 is he getting at well i don't think he thinks i don't think he means we should be morbid all the time when I think of Jesus, for example, uh, his first uh, miracle was at a wedding. And so when I just think of Jesus, when I think of the Israelites, one thing that is very prominent that stands out to me is the parties. Like the Israelites knew how to party. Right. Their holidays, their holy days, they would celebrate. They would party. But I think the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to help us to grapple with the fact that, look, you need to consider death and you need to, you need to surround yourself with the reality that your life will end one day. Mm. So you need to be acquainted with going to a funeral. You need to think of that because in, in my life, it seems that people only talk about death when actually someone dies we would rather not talk about death until until it kind of interrupts so kind of like the kobe bryant type of situation when he passed right right. then all of a sudden death is kind of in our conversations but once that moment in time kind of passes we kind of just live our life forgetting about death like death cannot touch us and so i think the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to ponder death, to be reminded, like, yo, death is coming for you. It's coming for everyone. So that's, we want to sober our our living to be prepared. That's a good point you make. For death. 
That's a very good point you make. Um, there's uh, when I was in Ghana, there was a little church we went to, very tiny church, and my cousin's father had died, and we were, and he was speaking like the Sunday after of the burial. And one of the things he said, he says, "Our father Adam signed, he 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 pretty much crafted a death certificate for each and every one of us, and we all have to sign it. No one gets to avoid it. It's not as though like it's not death is not like a speeding ticket. Some people may go through their whole life never getting a speeding ticket." But death is like an assured contract that we all have to sign, no matter what. Sometimes we have to sign it early. Sometimes we have to sign it later. But you inevitably have to sign it. So I guess my next question is, do you think thinking about death makes us live a different form of life? Um, by that, I mean, there's a good Jonathan Edwards quote where he says, resolved, he said, I'm resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life, do you think thinking about death makes us live better? Yes, I do. So, for example, I wouldn't, I, like, you know, some people are thrill seekers and they think of doing extreme things with their life. Right. Some things just never appeal to me. So the thought of, like, bungee jumping or, <laughs> you know... <laughs> You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, certain activities, like, I am appalled to, like, think about. I don't even want to think about doing them. You get what I'm saying? Right. And so what happens if that were to go wrong? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I think I think thinking about death, like the quote uh, you said from Edwards, I think it does kind of um, fence us off from from further danger mm, you know so mm -hmm. when we think about that we're like well i could go out with this group of friends that are just reckless and they go out and it's just a lot of destruction or i could pass on hanging out with them you right, know what i'm saying right, right. so i i think that it, it can actually it can actually keep us from from destruction and yeah, and certain things that may bring death. It's interesting you say that because I think there's uh, there's two responses, and you see it even with Paul's letters, that people can have to the topic of death. If you're not a believer and you don't believe in Jesus and the hope that he, he offers, then when you hear about death, you think, well, you almost have a suicidal mentality. You might not acknowledge it, but the suicidal mentality talks like this. Well, if I'm going to die that I might as well, what, eat and be merry, but because tomorrow I'm going to die, I might as well have as much fun as I can because, after all, I'm going to the ground and I'm going to rot. There's nothing after this. Or if you have grappled with the reality of death and that it's unnatural and that in our hearts is a desire to live forever um, and God has placed that desire in there, then it would sober you up. You start to think, well, I need to live in a way that's meaningful, not almost to earn your way to heaven, but so that when you stand before your creator, you know, you don't suffer loss. You don't, you don't look back on your life and say, wow, what a waste. You know, I've wasted it. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. What do you think about that? What do you think about the mentality of like, well, if I'm going to die, I don't care. I might as well do whatever I want. To me, to me, that, that doesn't satisfy only because I believe that there is a reality after we die. So 
in philosophy, for example, one of one argument is that if if God gives us a a desire for heaven, for example, right? So if we just have a desire that there is a heaven that is real, right? Mm-hmm. Like the thought of that desire is because there actually is a real heaven that you can experience where there's no pain, no mourning, no death Mm -hmm. after that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the notion to me to just eat, drink, be merry, live your life, however you want. They say YOLO, you only live once as an excuse to just live a reckless life doing whatever you can on God's green earth. But they, they position that a worldview in such a way that the only consequences are this life's consequences, but there are consequences beyond this grave. So for me, it just doesn't satisfy when you don't think about the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the desires that God has given me for a better place, right? A better reality where there's no more pain, suffering, no darkness at all, I believe that that is real. And so I'm going to live my life in such a way that after my life, I can go there. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think it's it's worth noting, too, that uh, as Romans 5, 12 says, uh, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. I think it's it's worth noting that death is a result of sin. Death only exists in our worlds because we sin. And sin is what? Contra- like missing the mark, uh, not conforming to God's revealed will, God's desire for how we ought to live. So mm-hmm. further sinning is just bringing more death. And um, exactly. if we have that mentality, if like if we say, and you know what, this isn't, this is, I need to preface this. This isn't me saying that um, uh, other people need to learn this. This is something that I need to grapple with, with myself because sin seems so desirable, but yeah. Uh, and, and I've fallen many times into sin. And I think one of the, the worst ramifications of sinning is the death that I feel afterwards. Do you know, mm-hmm. the spiritual death. I mean, I might not feel a physical death in immediacy. The emotional death is indescribable. And the only way you can avoid that emotional death is to further sin. Because then it numbs you further, right? Which yeah. ultimately leads to a physical death. Uh, in which you would have to face God and give an account for your life. Any thoughts on that? I hear you say that sin just brings more death. So why would you want to sin and bring more death upon yourself? Like, of course, no one would want to do that. I kind of want to speak to the person who feels that though they are physically alive, right? Right. Well, what about the person who is alive, but they feel on the inside that they're dead? Mm. They They literally feel like, I'm dead. Like, this does not feel like life. This does not feel worth it. And so if I feel this way, I might as well just give myself over 
to sin that brings more death because I'm physically alive, but my feelings, it feels like I'm really dead. Right on the inside, and what would what would it be? What would it be your response to such a person that feels that way and yet they are alive? And by alive, what do you mean? They're alive to Christ, or they're alive physically? They're just alive physically. Okay, right. Like they're despondent, they're depressed. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they may even be suicidal, but they're physically alive. But they feel mentally feel like they are dead. And I guess my only, well, one, I would want to say that's a very real feeling. Um, I want to validate them and their feelings. They're not, they're not strange. They're not weird. That's normal. And in, and to a certain degree, we all experience that. Some of us experience it maybe more than others, or it may feel like we experience it more than others. So I want to validate them that that's a normal thing. I want to say that for for some, it, it may be, you know, a mental thing. There's mental illness and there's treatment out there. And we thank God for doctors and things like that. And I also want to say that there is hope and there's hope in the gospel um, that Jesus Christ it says that he was a man of sorrows, right? Mm-hmm. And he is not far off and just a God who's up in the sky who cannot relate to your situation and cannot relate to you. But Jesus came to this world and he lived among this world, entering into all of the death and destruction of this world, he experienced suffering. He experienced, I would even say, mental anguish of his of his soul, right. um, especially if the scriptures describe that he was a man of sorrows. But not only did he experience it, right? But then he went to the Lord in prayer about it, and he went to the cross to suffer for all of the sins of the world so that he could now offer true life because when he was buried, he was buried in a grave and he died. But on the third day, he rose again, showing that in him, he has power over sin, death, and the grave, and that there is now hope, and hope is a person in hope is alive. Jesus would call you to place your trust in him, no matter how dark your situation is. As we're on the topic of uh, the, the language of anguish, you had an experience years ago. And I lived in Virginia and we went to the same church and the whole church was praying for you to live because you were on the verge of death. Uh, could you mm-hmm. talk about that a bit and how that felt when you were going through that? Oh, yes. Some of you may. So I have a medical condition. It's called sickle cell anemia. And it was I was born with it. It's a disease and it affects the blood of a person. (laughs) So my own blood within me is not working properly or not 
operating how it how it should, right? right? And so, whereas a person with sickle cell, they experience what's called a pain a pain crisis, where it's just a lot of pain. And so, at one point, I got sick, and I've been sick like my whole life. Um, in school, I would usually get sick once a year, and it would always be the same time, a week before spring break. So I would I would get sick before spring break. And I would have all this work that I would have to make up. I could never get sick during spring break. But anyway, so I got sick and I had to go to the hospital. And at this time, I went to, I think it was Howard University Hospital in D.C. And the doctors, they're, you know, doing all these tests on me. They're consoling me. But doctors are very, like, this is the this is the scenario. It's not looking good, right? Mm-hmm. And they they always are from their perspective telling you how bad it is, right? So me per, me personally, at this point in my life, I had actually trusted in the Lord, and I was a believer, and I trusted in Jesus, and so I had a peace about about me. Right. And I knew that ultimately my life is in God's hands. Knowing God, I don't have any fears. Right. But the doctors and the nurses and the people around me, um, they were very somber and serious. And I remember one time one of the doctors um, wanted to talk to me about a procedure. And it basically was like a blood exchange procedure. And that is. It basically was like a a transfusion where a blood transfusion is where blood from outside of you is being put in you. So mm-hmm. another person's blood is being put in you. And they wanted to do a blood exchange. And that means that they were taking blood that was within me outside of me. They were removing my blood and giving me all new blood. And they were saying that this is a very kind of um, risky procedure, but they felt that I needed this blood exchange procedure, right? right? But they were they were telling me, all right, this is probably, you know, going to be risky. So we just need you to understand. Um, the complications that can be involved with it and they read read you like a little disclosure statement and then make sure you agree to all of this are you sure okay you understand do you have any questions Um, because they were saying it was like 50 50 like 50 percent 50 percent chance you could live or 50 percent chance you could die right um and the church i know they prayed for me and my mother, if you know my mother, right, um, she uh, is a praying woman, right? And um, she found a little church outside of the hospital, right out there, outside of Howard University Hospital. And she found a pastor and she told him to pray for me. And so before, before this, I, well, while I was going through this, I just had a peace and I just prayed. And one thing that I do, um, say is that 
me personally, I view my sickness as a blessing. And, and how? How is it the a blessing? reason I be, so the reason so the reason it's a blessing to me, right, is because it it draws me closer to the Lord. So like when I'm in the hospital or well, let's just say pain. All right. Mm-hmm. Because a sick, a person with sickle cell has a pain crisis. When I'm having a pain crisis, oh, I am praying and calling on the Lord like crazy. Mm. You get what I'm saying? Mm. My prayer life is off the charts when I'm in pain, right? Mm -hmm. So, whereas before, when I'm living and I'm comfortable, I'm not not praying like that. I'm not calling on the Lord that often. But all of a sudden... When I have a pain crisis, oh, I'm Jesus, Lord, help me, like, help me, Lord. You know, mm-hmm. I'm calling out to the Lord. And it's weird, but it draws me closer to God. And in the midst of my pain, I feel like I know him more. Right. I know him in a, in a deeper level because of pain than I know him when I don't have pain. And because I get to know him in a deeper level, that's why I consider my disease as a blessing. Yeah, it it draw it draws me closer to the Lord. I, I just think it's a blessing. Um, I I can't describe it any better than that. So for this procedure, I was I was really at peace about it. Um, right, and I'm like, yeah, I agree with it. You know, I'm trusting in the Lord. You know, He brought me through that. Um, and in the midst of it, he drew me closer to himself. Yeah, I, I think God is good. And I did want to say, I think in Psalm 119, verse 71, if I could sum it up with a scripture, I would say this uh, from Psalm 119, 71. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. I would say it was it was a good thing. And. As we take it, you did survive the transfusion? Yeah, yeah. Survived it. <laughs> we're talking to I'm a living today. man. <laughs> yes, we're talking to a living man. <laughs> yes, um, I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, the, the crazy thing is that, as uh, as you know, Amy's father just uh, passed away and um, yeah. just kind of like dealing, grappling with death uh, vicariously through her. And Amy's a resilient woman. She knows how to mourn really well. Um, and... Mm. I've just been taken back by some of the things she said with regards to his passing and the moments beforehand. And usually when, you know, you hear stories about people passing on um, or believers passing on, you find, you hear that, you know, uh, in their very last moment of drawing their last breath, there's like a, a, a light that comes upon their face. It's like they're entering into glory. Um, and then it gives the people who are observing some form of comfort to know that, oh, they're going to a better place. I don't, I saw this on YouTube, searching YouTube the other day, and it said that Steve Jobs' last moment, last words before he died was, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. That's the last thing that they heard him say. I don't know what he was seeing or what he was experiencing, um, but he had, there was something of wonder that he was either encountering or something of dread. Who knows? But, uh, but I asked Amy to kind of give us, uh, you know, her experience about, you know, uh, her dad's 
passing and what it felt like. This is a quote that she sent me. Um, she says, I'll be honest, to watch my father die has tested my faith like nothing else has in my life. There was no glory to be seen, no light that descended upon my dad, no peace to be seen as he was struggling for his last breath. I wanted more. I longed to catch a glimpse that he was being graciously ushered in, into, eternal, into his eternal home. But I only saw the material in full decay, death doing its final destruction. My heart was being shattered as I witnessed what I can only describe as a horror. I was praying God would not forsake him in his last hour. My mind and my emotions were telling me that he was being forsaken. In the weeks and months leading up to this moment, I watched my dad call on the name of Jesus when his body was stripped of all its physical glory. As he vomited his own blood time and time again, his lips spoke the name of Jesus when his body was filled with panic attacks from the endless filled IV injections. He called on the one who promised to never leave him, but all I could see was him being forsaken. I cried out to God, why won't you intervene and bring relief? Bring the hope and healing he so longs for. He puts his trust in you. Where are you, God, when he needs you the most? My faith, I declared, was being fully put to the test. The words in 1 Corinthians 15, 42-44 was being activated by faith in my heart, and I'm finding comfort and hope that my father's suffering and death are not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 42-44 says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So in that end quote, in that passage, Paul talks about when we die, the reality of our, our physical body is sown perishable, but it will be raised imperishable. And it is sown in dishonor, but it will be raised in glory. And the weakness that Amy's father felt uh, in his body, when his body was sown into death, his body will be raised in power on the day of resurrection. So as we thought through that, and the emotions that she felt regards to her dad's passing and how unglorious it was and more of a terror than anything, I thought, there is someone who had that in common with him. And uh, I think you know who I'm talking about, Jeff. What is, yeah. the, what is the Christian's response to death? What does the crucifixion of Christ mean to the world and to those who believe in it? Mm. First so of all, how, how, think... first of all, how does Amy's dad's miserable passing relate to Jesus? I think there's a parallel where Jesus, he suffered before he died. Um, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. Felt forsaken. Um, it seems like Amy's father was calling on the Lord, calling on the Lord, calling on the Lord. And he he passed on. The good thing is that it does say that precious in God's eyes are the death of his saints. Mm. Precious in God's eyes are the death of the of the saints. And so Christ. And so what what the crucifixion um, means to the world? I think it doesn't mean 
anything to the world. It's just another death. Mm. Okay, Jesus, he lived and he died. That's what happens to people who live. They die, right? Right. But for the for 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 Christian and what this means to the world is that the reason why Jesus died was different from any other death. Mm. And the implications of his death are different than any other death. So Jesus was literally God in the flesh. Jesus left heaven, came to this earth. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, was tempted, never sinned, was a man of sorrows. He was handed over. And why was he handed over? It wasn't his sin. It was our sin. Mm. Everyone has sinned and everyone has done wrong. And Jesus, he actually laid down his life for the sins of all those who would turn and place their trust in him. Now, what happened when Jesus suffered, right? He was suffering for others. And his death on the cross is so that those who trust in him, though they die, they can experience what Jesus's death accomplished. And what his death accomplishes is it accomplishes forgiveness to every single person. So Jesus dies on the cross, he's buried. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave. He resurrected, he came back to life. And in God's in God's justice, because mankind sinned, Adam sinned, man has to pay the punishment for their sin. None of us can actually pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus Christ steps in. He is a man. And he suffers as a man under the wrath of God. And so God's wrath is poured out on Christ. And Christ dies, but his death is unlike any other death. He mm-hmm. never sinned. Right. And so God accepts Christ's death. And when Jesus rises from the grave, it shows that this one man He has power over the grave. Death is the result of sin, right? Right. So Jesus is able to overcome sin sin and overcome death. He comes back to life, meaning he's more powerful than death. Mm. He's more powerful than sin. And so for everyone who lives, there is someone who is more powerful than death. And that is Christ. There's something about Christ. And he is the way back to God. And it's only through Jesus Christ can a person be forgiven of their sins. And boy, it feels good to have your sins forgiven. Mm. So the question is, why wouldn't you place your trust in Jesus, who died for you. 
I'm reminded of the John Owen book, The Death of Deaths and the Death of Christ. As you describe mm-hmm. it, there are many deaths in Christ's death. Um, whereas like individuals, even you and me, when we die, we die alone. But in Christ, mm-hmm. many died. You and I died with him. All who trust in him died with him on the cross. Mm-hmm. And, and as he rose, we rose with him. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, what a beauty that is that the death of Christ was a death that had a universal impact, that all creation was affected by it. And one of the questions that most people pose to us is how can one man die for everybody? Mm. You know? And I, 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 I'd want to ask mm. you that. It's because that one man is worth, than, is worth more than everybody put together. And that one man, his life and his obedience um, has reversed the disobedience of our first father, Adam. Whereas our first father, Adam, mm. brought death, the second Adam, and that's a title, that's not his name. Jesus' name is not Adam. He's just as a representative yeah. of humanity. His obedience has brought life. So everything after Christ is life. Everything before Christ is death. So you have an mm. option. You can live in the first Adam or the second Adam. To round this up, I'd like to ask you a question. How can yeah. we prepare for death? We've talked about the, just the importance of having death before us and thinking through it and impacting how we live our lives. Now I want to ask, how does one prepare for death? I would say the way that one prepares for death, I would say one is to consider your own death. So think about your your death. Think about your life and the fact that your life will come to an end one day. Mm. And think about what it will be like when your life is over and when you have to stand before a holy God who is your creator. Mm. And, and think about your own death when you have to stand before a holy God who is your creator whom you have sinned against. Think about standing before God who you have sinned against who is your creator and think about if you have to stand before God in your own works and in your own righteousness, how terrible that would be if you know that you have sinned against God and you're guilty because the reality is you are guilty of sinning against God And the Bible describes it as rebellion. You are actively waging war against God. Now, as somber as that reality is, and that is a somber, somber reality, and that is true. If you think about your death and think about what it will be like if you were to, after your death, stand before God and you know that you are guilty of sinning against him. You know that his son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross. And he died on the cross for your sins. And he rose three days later. And think about the fact that he offered forgiveness for you while you were 
alive. And if you trusted in him, you would not stand before God alone, but you would stand before God and Christ would stand with you. Mm. And his own righteousness would cover you so that you would no longer be guilty before God. And so as we think as we think about death, to prepare for death, you have to think about your own death and what that would mean to stand before a holy God being guilty, but also to stand before a holy God being guilty, but being covered in the righteousness of Christ. And so with that, Jesus's words in the gospel of Mark would say, repent and believe the gospel. Mm-hmm. Turn from your sin. Anything that's keeping you from the Lord, it's not worth it. So Jesus would say to repent, turn from that and believe, trust in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, the writer of uh, Corinthians, he says that uh, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have the victory only through Jesus Christ. So to prepare for your death, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to him and know that there is life in Jesus Christ, who, though he died, he rose again and he conquered sin and the grave. And he offers free forgiveness for all who would trust in him and turn to him. Cling to the Lord and worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jeff, for that. Yeah, couldn't even, I can't add to that. Thank you a lot. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again in the near future. Yeah. Thanks for coming on.